Bibles and find your way to Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans chapter 3. Romans 3, if we could please pull that title screen up. There we go. Walking us to Christ. That title actually comes from where we're going to spend some time in a minute. So, okay, so Romans 3, put something there, and then flip over and find uh, Galatians 3. Not too far. You're going to go to the right just a few pages, and you'll find Galatians. You have first and Second Corinthians. Um, and then Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. So just a few books to the right. And then put something in Galatians 3 because we're going to head there in just a bit as we unpack this message to Christ. What do you see in that picture? Crossing guard. That's exactly what I wanted you to see. I hope that I was hoping so. The crossing guard. What's a crossing guard's job? Yep, to get the children across the street. And generally they're crossing the street to go where? School. School. To give them an education. And the crossing guard's whole job is to get them there safely. safely. Does the crossing guard educate them? No. Is that his job? No. What's his job? To get them to school safely. Does he teach algebra? No. What does he do? He stops traffic so that those kids can get to school. So I want to talk to you about looking at the law as the crossing guard that gets us to Christ. And I'll use that as an example. So to begin today, Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. Matter of fact, that's a bad background. Just click on a background underneath that's plain and it will come up behind it. Um, that's my fault. Not theirs upstairs. I drive those people crazy upstairs, by the way. I told Paul when the song, Catechism song first started to turn it up, then it was too loud and I told him to turn it down. And he's up there like this and he wasn't praising Jesus. <laughs> he's saying, my father is a lunatic. <laughs> oh, There it is. Oh, I like that background too. Because it looks like the logs of our church. Ellie found that for me. Could you, would, you, would you read this verse with me today? Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Father, I pray that you would... Oh God, that you would take the blinders off of us today. I know that these are church people sitting in this room this morning and they've heard it all. We've heard it all before. But Lord, just because we've heard it with our physical ears does not mean it has found good soil in our hearts. Does not mean that we've seen it. It does not mean that we have appropriated this truth, that we have basked in the wretchedness of our sin juxtaposed to the gloriousness of your holiness only made possible to come together through the incredible sacrifice of your Son. And Lord, when that becomes old news, God help us to know how much trouble we're in. So God, may the scales fall off our eyes this morning. May we listen to this as though it were the first time, and for some it very well may be 
the first time they have truly heard the good news. May you give us ears to hear, not for this preacher's sake, but for the sake of the gospel. In Christ's name, amen. We have over the last few weeks explored God's law together. We have gazed into the requirements of a holy God for His creation. We have seen the beauty, the brilliance of His commands and how they foster a God-breathed, God-granted freedom. We've also beheld the dark side of this law of light. We've had to admit that as glorious as is this freedom-enhancing law is, we still have an appetite for slavery to sin. We give a nod to freedom all the while putting ourselves in handcuffs to the chains of sin. To what end? To what end, this law then? If we are so bent, if we are so broken as a creation... That while looking at this freedom-sustaining law of God and agreeing this is a great idea, all the while actively pursuing sin and putting on one more set of handcuffs and one more set of shackles to keep us, to keep us grounded in the kingdom of darkness, then why bother with this law? Why have it in the first place? Well, this morning, I will do my best to unpack the answer to that capital question. What is the purpose of the law? Or, if I can't keep it, why have it? That fair? So let's unpack that together. Reason number one. Reason number one, this comes right out of your catechism, is that we may know the holy nature of, and will of God. That's reason number one. We look at God's law and we are introduced to both the holy nature of God and His holy will. Romans chapter 7. You should be in Romans 3, so it's not that far. Maybe a page or two. For mine, it's just one page. Romans 7. Let's, let's look at this thing. And Paul... Actually, here, he anticipates the argument of his detractors. And in Romans 7, beginning in verse 7, are you there? Say amen. amen. He said, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary. I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law said you should not covet. But sin, taking opportunity, and by the way, underline this next three words in your Bible, by the commandment. What did sin use? Wake up. By the commandment. Sin used the law against you. It used the law to kill you. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. And let the church say, Amen. Right? For apart from the law, sin was what? Dead. I was once alive without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and what happened to me? I died. 
And check this out, verse 10. And the commandment, underline this, which was meant to bring what? Life. Remember, freedom, life, it's the reason for the law. What did God say to his people? Keep these and live. But the, and the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring what? Death. What in the world? Keep reading. Verse 11, this is so powerful. For sin... Taken occasion by the commandment. By the way, it's the second time he said that. For sin, take, uh, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me. Does that sound familiar? Thinking Eve in the garden? Deceived me. And by it, what? Killed me. Just because you're not smart and you sin doesn't mean you get out of the results of sin. Now, verse 12, therefore, here's, here's what he's saying. The law is what? Holy. holy. Not just holy, what? And the commandment is, say these words, holy and just and good. Question. Why are the commandments holy, just, and good? Let me ask it this way before you answer. What makes these commands that kills, they, they kill us. <laughs> what makes them holy? What makes them just? What makes them good? They're of God. And God is what? Holy. Let, let me unpack that. He is holy outside of sin. He is utter Glorious, righteous perfection. He is so separated from sin that sin in his presence is immediately devoured, destroyed, brought to nothing, burned up, literally, because he is what church? Holy. The commandment is holy because the giver of the commandment is holy. Amen. Well, the commandment isn't just holy. What does the scripture say? It is holy and what? What's that next word? Just. just. When you think of just, you think of the word what? Justice. Justice. What is justice? Justice is there's a law. And there is a benefit to keeping the law. And there is a price for breaking the law. So God is not just holy. He is what? Just. What he demands of us, what God commands of us, is right. And when those commands are kept, the blessing comes. When those commands are broken, the curse falls. And God, God cannot overlook sin because He is what? Just. And if He is just, then the law that He gives is just. Amen. Holy. It is just. I think there's one more word in there. What is it? Good. good. It's good. Why is the commandment good? 
because God is good all the time, right? And we say that. God is good. And you all just can't help yourself. Thanks to Brother Barta. All the time. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. I fear, though, that when we say that, we define good different than what good should be defined in relation to the good God. I think oftentimes we define that good in that statement idolatrously. Because what we say is God is good when he's good to me. And I define good as blessing, whether that be financial, relational, just being happy. Can I tell you? There are two words that precede good and they're holy and just. And don't ever forget it. What does this law do? Why, why have a law that I cannot keep? Because it reveals who God is, his holy, just, and good nature. Where else would we see it? Where else would we see it? It, it, it tells us who he is. No wonder. Go read Psalm 119. No wonder David loved God's law. This guy's picture is going to come up on the screen. He just went home to be with the Lord. His name is R.C. Sproul, one of my heroes of the faith. Let, let me, and, and I was given this book at the conference this week, and it's called The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. Here's one of the things that Sproul said in that book, and it, it will help us to transition to the next reason for the law, but it also ties us to the holiness of God. Here's what R.C. says. Quote, sin is cosmic treason. Sin is treason against a perfectly pure sovereign. It is an act of supreme ingratitude toward the one to whom we owe everything, to the one who has given us life itself. Have you ever considered the deeper implications of the slightest sin? of the most minute peccadillo? What are we saying to our Creator when we disobey Him at the slightest point? We are saying no to the righteousness of God. We are saying, God, your law is not good. My judgment, better than yours. Your authority does not apply to me. I am above and beyond your jurisdiction. And I have the right to do what I want to do, not what you command me to do. End quote. Can I ask you a question? Parents, raise your hand. How'd that go over if your kid said that to you? Not so good. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I have said that to my father in my head. Had it come out my mouth, you would have a different preacher today because I would have died at 14. Seriously, would you put up with that? No. Why then do we think being fallen, we would not put up with such rebellion, and yet we expect God to be okay with it? You see, because the second purpose of the law, not only to reveal the holy nature of God, but the second thing that the law does for me, even though I can't keep it, the second reason is that we may know the sinful nature and disobedience of our own hearts. 
Can I just tell you? Every one of you sitting here today, we are massively deceiving ourselves with our own goodness. Massively. You are not a good person. Matter of fact, some... And boy, doesn't that, doesn't that offend you? I say that. I'm the one that said it. And I'm offended at myself for saying it. We don't like to hear that. It hurts. I read some one time, I was reading, I don't even remember what book, it might have been R.C.'s book on the holiness of God. He said, you know, we think we're so good. Well, I would never commit murder. Let me ask you a question. If you were assured that you could get away with it, would you do it? How much sin would you jump into and do a cannonball in the pool, the cesspool of sin, if you knew that you could get away with it, nobody would ever find out, and you could just go on a flesh trip and do everything your fallen flesh desires? How much would you do? What would, you, what would limit you from the most heinous acts that make Hitler look like a choir boy and Paul Pot like an altar boy? That's us. We would do it. You, are you in Galatians 3? Galatians 3. I marked it so I wouldn't have to find it. 22. Here's what Paul says. But the scripture has confined. You should underline that. Confined. I'm going to tell you what that means in a minute. Confined how many? All. all. Where are we confined? Under sin. We are all locked up in the dungeon of sin. How long? When's our parole date? That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which afterward would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we no longer need a tutor. What does any of that mean? The law was given to the people of God. Can, and if I could be very specific here, because Paul is. Specifically to the Jewish people. Because God wanted them to be distinct from the world. So he said, you're going to live differently. But what it ended up doing, which was God's plan in advance, was it, it, it locked them all up in the same jail of sin. And not anybody's on the outside. Everybody. And that, that word under sin is, is the idea in the original language. Is the, it's a fishing net. Think of a, a large fishing net that closes in on all four sides and all the fish are inside that net. Nobody's getting out. Yeah, you're trapped. So the law holds us in this net of sin. For how long? Until what? Until the promise. Who's the promise? Jesus. Until the promise comes that is appropriated by faith. So then, Paul makes this case. The whole reason for the law is to show you your sin and, a, and, a, and a, it, why are we locked up? Why does the law lock us up? Listen, listen. When you're why do we lock criminals up? Come on, wake up, church. Uh, what, what do we not want them doing anymore? Breaking the law. So what do we do to them? 
We lock them up and so they can no longer break the law. That society is what? Safe. So the law was designed to keep people relatively safe because it highlighted their sin and it locked them in this sin cell to keep them from going crazy. Why? Because one day that promise was going to be delivered upon. And then the cell is opened because I no longer have an exterior law. I got an interior Christ who I love and adore. And the law makes sense for the first time. Okay? So Paul says, because of, so I'm locking everybody up in jail because you guys can't handle being free. Now check out verse 22. This is brilliant. Then Paul says in verse, not 22, 24, therefore, because God put us in jail for our own good to at least keep our sinning to a minimum, maybe, right? Therefore, here's the picture Paul gives of the law. Therefore, the law was our tutor. Notice that past tense, that's key. Was our tutor to do what? to bring us to Christ so that we could be justified by faith. Okay, the law was our tutor. Now, that word tutor, I meant to write it down in a Greek and impress you, but see, I, I couldn't even write, I didn't even write it down. But it's a really cool Greek word, and, it, and it's not what you think. When you think of a tutor, what do you think of? A teacher, right? Not the idea. In Roman society... It's just really weird when you look back. And Paul is using a Roman cultural thing that these people would understand. Parents didn't really like their kids. <laughs> Nothing's changed. <laughs> Casey feels so affirmed this morning by his father. Nothing's changed. <laughs> they really didn't like their kids. And so they, they, didn't, they, they had very little interaction with them while they were young. And it wasn't until they reached the age of, of, of Roman adulthood, which was similar to the Jewish adulthood between the age of 12 and 13, that they actually became um, the heir of their specifically father's family. And if the father sees the kid growing up saying, he's a bonehead, no good, he'd grab a slave, train him, and make him the heir. Because he didn't care about the son, he cared about his legacy. He cared about his family name. And if the son was going to mess it up, he'd get somebody else. He'd go find someone else to train them. Who did this training? The tutor. Pedagogos, that was the name. Ooh, it came to me. And peda comes from pediatric. It means little child. And these tutors were like, um, they were slaves, but they had full authority over this child, and they were extremely strict, and their discipline was harsh. They would beat the liver out of these little Roman kids for the slightest infraction. And they taught them to be disciplined. And their whole job was not to teach them Roman law or reading, writing, arithmetic. His other job was, the, the pedagogos' other job was, was to, again, he firmly ruled this kid's life with an iron fist. But his big job was, his job was the crossing guard. His job was to get him to the teacher. You see, the slave was not the teacher. He was the enforcer. He was the bouncer. And his job was to take this kid and to get him to the schoolmaster so that he could be what? Educated. 
And it was his job to get him there safely, get him home safely, and stand over him literally with a stick to see that he learned and mastered everything he was required to. Question, do you think those Roman children, as they grew, had a great love for their pedagogos? Not so much. Matter of fact, generally when they took over the household name, their first act was to execute them in very painful and ugly ways. But they had a job, and they served a purpose. They kept that kid from killing themselves and got them to an education, which was their only purpose for existence. And that's why when their purpose was over, they generally left this earth. What does Paul say? The purpose of this glorious law to take us by the hand and drag us to Christ. It's to show us, man, I got you so locked up in the jail of your sin, you have no hope of life with no hope of parole. It's to convince you of your sin and your guilt. So, so, so okay, so let me establish a couple of things that we've talked about already. The law is good. Did we get that in that first part? It shows us the glory of, of, of the giver of the law, the commander. It's, it's holy, it's just, it's good. There's nothing wrong with the law. Me, however, not so good. There's a lot wrong with me. Law's good. I got this innate problem that I, I can't pull it off. I can't get it right. I want to, but the reason I want to is like that Roman boy and the tutor, he just fears the rod. He doesn't love the law. Are you with me? He fears the consequence. He doesn't love the creator. And that's the problem. Listen, so many of us live right there. We fear the consequence because we do not love God. We love self. We are in love with the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. And in order to keep pain from coming into my, our life, we embrace a type of moralism that says, as long as I don't do X, Y, and Z, I'm not going to have these things, A, B, and C happen to me. So, so we limit ourselves, but it is not out of love for God. It is out of an idolatrous love for self. And the law even reveals this. It shows us how fallen, short we really are. So the law is the schoolmaster bring us to Christ. So law's good. I'm bad. I can't keep it. But there's a big problem. What is the penalty for not keeping the law? It's not a switch. What is it? The wages of sin is death. I got a death penalty hanging over my head. Does anybody see a problem? You see, and the, and the purpose of the law is to convince me of my sin. I think this will come up on the screen. The law convicts of sin, but it is powerless to cure the sinner of his sin. Yeah, that's up there somewhere, I thought. No, you know what? That's in the next slide, Sam. You're good. Ellie Maxwell said this. This was good about all being locked up in sin. He said, we are crowded to Christ. <laughs> A whole lot of us. We're all locked up in the same cell, and we are crowded to Christ. 
We are so surrounded by our sin. We're all confined under sin, and we are pushed to Christ. Uh, just If you're taking notes, just jot this reference down. Romans 5.20a, the first part. Here's what it says. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Did you all hear that? The law entered that the offense might what? Abound. It just, it just highlights our sin. And it's to convince us of the depth of our depravity. Now I want to stop right here. And I just want, I, I want to get very pastoral with you and very honest. How convinced are you of your fallenness today? I mean, really. You hear that rain? Oh, how we need to be washed. You know why we don't like the law? Because we don't like what it reflects back to us. I'm talking to me. I don't like it. Are there days that you look at yourself and you are astounded by how fallen you really are and what you're capable of? The law does that. Here's the last reason for the law, though. Reason number three, that we may know our need for a Savior. Oh, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that the law does not just, is not just holy, just, and good and tells us about God, which is wonderful. But aren't, aren't you glad that it doesn't just reveal your sin? But, oh, beloved, let me, let me tell you something. Don't be afraid to be honest about your fallenness. Don't be afraid to plunge the depths of your depravity. Because until those depths are plunged, the heights of God's grace will never be attained or appreciated. Fear not the heinousness, heinousness of your crime. Look it full in the face and own it. And then turn around and look at that glorious cross and say, though I did all of that, He owned it for me. He took it for me. He who knew no sin embraced all of my sin that the righteousness of God, which I had no chance of understanding or ever embracing or ever showing up in my life, might be made manifest, might show up and show out in my life apart from myself, apart from my works, but a work that is done based on the work of Him who did the cross work in my place. What a Savior! The law convicts of sin Convicts the sinner of sin, but it is powerless to cure him of his sin. Amen. Do y'all see that? The law convicts the sinner, but is powerless to, to, to cure him of his sin. Different context, but we heard it said it wasn't towards the law, it was towards liberalism, but I think there's an application, and David heard these words with me. It's as if the law says all diseases are welcome, but no cures are offered. Now die. <laughs> right? Hey, guess what? You got cancer. Have a good day. <laughs> Can't help you. I am great at diagnosing, but I got no medicine. 
Right? Would you go back to that doctor? Probably not. Oh, listen to me this morning. The law shows the sinner his guilt, but the cross shows the sinner God's grace. Let me say that again. The law, the law shows the sinner his guilt, but the cross shows the sinner God's grace. Galatians 3.24, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. Why? To what end? That we might be justified by grace. Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. That we might get Christ's perfect record, which is called grace. You know what grace is? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. You sin, therefore you deserve what? Death. Okay, so God's mercy is that literally when you sin, you're not knocked dead. Mm -hmm. That's God's mercy. God's mercy is that when you chase after sin and you do it, that God doesn't kill you right there, that's God's mercy. But oh, let me tell you about God's grace. It's a little different. Mercy's not getting what I deserve. Grace is getting the opposite of what I deserve. The wages of sin is death. I have piled up death upon death upon death over my life and in my account. And God took everything in my account, put it in Christ's account. He spent eternity in hell and six hours on the cross and he gives me Christ's perfect record. That is grace. Hallelujah. That's the grace in which we stand today. And we must not take that for granted. We must not. We must exalt the risen Christ because that law will clearly convict me of my guilt, but only the cross can show me the grace of God. Amen. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, by the way, I did a little sneaky peat on you today. I only showed you the first part of Romans 5.20. Would you like to see the second part? The first part says this. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But oh, look at this second part. But where sin abounded, grace what? Abounded how much? Much more. Much more. God's grace superabounds over your sin. I put it this way. You can't out-sin the grace of God. I don't care what you've done. If you think your sin is keeping you out of heaven, then I want to say 100% to you today, you have never seen Christ. You have no concept of what he did on the cross of Calvary that day in your place. Because what Christ did way more than covers anything you could do. That is the grace of of Almighty God. That's the reason for the law. It convinces us that God is, is, is holy, that God is just, and that God is good. And then it convicts us. It shows us that we are not holy. We are not just. We are not good. And don't get mad at the law. The law is just the mirror. Do you ever look in the mirror and think, good night, I look horrible. I'm going to break that mirror. And I'm going to get a mirror that makes me look good. You don't get mad at the mirror. You change your appearance. You clean yourself up. I remember it was here in the opera house downtown. Elizabeth and I went to hear Michael W. Smith, one of our favorite. This was years ago. 
He was still young then. Was it not Michael? Who was Stephen Curtis? No, Steve Green. That's who it was. Steve Green. Thank you. <laughs> David says, oh, wow, it's that old. Steve Green. And he's playing, and he's just wonderful. And he did this thing that just so blessed me. He opened it up, because he's done so many songs. He was doing his new stuff. He said, okay, now I'm going to open it up for requests. What are some of the old stuff I've done you want to hear? Man, people are shouting stuff out. And so as they're shouting stuff out, the camera pans back to the crowd, you know, because... You know, sing this one or sing that one. And I'm looking at the big screen, and we're down towards the front. I'm looking at the big screen and looking at people. And, and the camera is kind of zoomed in on this couple, and the guy's got a big bald spot right here in the back of his head. And I thought to myself, man, that would, that would be disappointing to have that bald spot. And I reached up and went like this, and the guy in the camera did the same thing. And I thought, and the guy, it was me! I literally, I don't see the back of my head. I had no idea that I had this big old ball spot. And it ruined the whole concert for me. I mean, I, I just want to go home, get in bed, and just feel sorry for myself. I sent out invitations to a pity party to me, myself, and I. I couldn't, not, was, was I mad at the camera? No, it just showed me what was going on at the back of my head. And that's the, don't get mad at God. Don't get mad at God's law. It's just showing you how you really are. Why? To what end? So that finally you'll stop looking to yourself to be made right with God. And you'll say, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross of Christ I cling. You'll stop trying to save yourself. You'll be convinced of your depravity. And then you will, for the first time in your life, see the glory of the risen Christ and what he really did in your place. The law is good. But I am fallen, broken, wholly unwilling and unable to keep these commandments. I am unable. I cannot do it. And even if I could, if, if I was able, think Adam... I'd still be unwilling. I am shut up in sin via the law. And what a sad, a bleak, and a dismal state. But behold the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the earth. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The author of the law is also the keeper of the law. And now he now keeps the law for me and has fully paid the blood price for the breaking of this precious and perfect law. Oh, what a Savior. Our musicians are going to come, and as they do, let me close with a reading from the Valley of Vision. And it's simply called the Life Look. After what we have just heard, would you consider these words? from our Puritan forefathers. O God, I bless thee for the happy moment when I first saw thy law fulfilled in Christ. Do you remember that happy moment in your life? When you first saw the law fulfilled in Christ? Wrath appeased, death destroyed, sin forgiven, and my soul saved. Ever since, thou hast been faithful to me. Daily I have proved the power of Jesus' blood. Daily I have known the strength of the Spirit, my teacher, director, and sanctifier. I want no other rock to build upon than the one that I have. I desire no hope 
other than that of the gospel truth. I need no other look than that which gazes on the cross. Forgive me if I have tried to add anything to that one foundation. If I have unconsciously relied upon my knowledge, experience, deeds, and not seen them as filthy rags. If I have attempted to complete what is perfect in Christ, may my cry be always, only Jesus, only Jesus. In him is forgiveness from condemnation, fullness in his righteousness, eternal vitality in his given life, indissoluble union and fellowship with him. In him I have all that I can hold. Enlarge me to take in more. If I backslide, let me like Peter weep bitterly and return to him. If I'm tempted and have no wit, give me strength enough to trust in him. If I am weak, may I faint upon the bosom of eternal love. If in extremity, let me feel that he can deliver me. If driven to the verge of hope and to the pit of despair, oh, grant me grace to fall into his arms. Oh God, hear me. Do for me more than I ask, think, or dream. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. And a law given to convince us of God's glory, convince us of our sin, and convince us that the Savior is enough.